0: Romans 6. Once again, let's look at verse number 7. It says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon, we're coming back to that word, we're coming back to two words, reckon and yield. Okay? So the first couple of verses we've read so far are talking about what Jesus did on the cross, on the cross and in the resurrection. We've been studying the resurrection of Christ over the past couple of weeks and the practical impact that has for the Christian in our daily life. We have a problem with sin and how sin drags us back into living the old life. You say, well, I don't have much of a old life because I grew up in church and I didn't do a lot of old things. Well, here's the thing. You still have an old nature that wants you to experiment and try and taste what other people are doing so that their past becomes your past. Is that true? Yes, very true. Very, very, very true. Okay? We're gonna be talking about how the death and resurrection of Christ has freed us from the dominion of sin as a fact but how so often we don't really live in freedom. We, some of us in this room right now, are dominated by old habits, old thought patterns, old feelings, old little sayings and lies and mantras we tell ourselves. I can't. I'll always be like this. And what we're going to do is dig a little bit into the doctrinal foundation of how can I possibly believe that I'm free from sin's authority and free from sin's dominion in my life. We're going to take the time to dig into that today. And by God's grace, at the end of this message, we should be able to have a little bit better of a grasp on how we can live free from the dominion of sin and live the life that God intends for us to live. Let's pray together. Father, I need your help. This topic is enormous it's very easy to get lost in the verbiage and the language my study is not sufficient for these things i pray in the name of jesus christ that you would make this topic clear so that we may live in victory Many in this room have a profession of salvation and they are still struggling deeply with old thoughts and old patterns and old habits. Chains of sin. Your word says they've been broken but in reality it doesn't feel that way. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ the light of of the Holy Spirit would illuminate the scripture today. Use me, fill me with your spirit. Help us to be able to see this truth clearly. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. We're going to start with a story, a biblical story, and we're going to compare This story found in Luke chapter 15 to the truth found in Romans 6. Now, I don't know if your brain works like mine does, but sometimes as soon as I get out of the book of Acts and I don't have stories anymore... I'm starting to read Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, and all the rest. And it's like, okay, those are good verses. Yeah, I get that. But then it kind of, sometimes it grinds to a halt. Like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And then I go and I study it and I kind of look at some thoughts of what other people are saying. It's like, okay, I think I, I think I see it. I think I see it. I think I see it. But oftentimes we really learn spiritual truth the best through a story. Right? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. It's very clear in this story, famous story in the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. Here's a here's a here's a a, a privileged kid who completely takes it for granted of what he's been given, and goes and lives like the like an absolute fool. Okay, lives like, like he doesn't listen, he lives like he doesn't belong to the father. But then he slowly comes back to himself. He has that moment where he's like, "What am I doing?" And then he goes back home. Right? And we know the story, it's a familiar story, but we're going to take the time and read it. Now, The first half of the parable of the prodigal son is about the younger son. The latter half is about the elder son. We're just going to look at the the younger son for now. Okay? So it says in verse number 11, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, And he divided unto them as living. Now, it is an insult to tell somebody, I want my inheritance before you're dead. In any culture, that's an insult. Okay? That's what he's doing here. Father, before you're dead, I want my my inheritance. Oh, what are you going to do with it, son? Have you found a really good investment to, you know, help your life go forward and to help the family? And maybe you're going to buy some extra land to include it in the farm? Not even close. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, question Is this the way the son of that father should act? Is this the way he was raised? Was this his pedigree? Is this the way his family had lived? No. This was, listen, completely contrary to where to, to what he had been born into. Completely contrary to every rule. Completely contrary to every rule of honoring the father, of enjoying what he should have enjoyed. He is using his newfound freedom For sinful indulgence Before we continue We have been bought By the blood of Christ If you have trusted Jesus Christ As your savior You're not trusting in your good works Well I think I'm going to heaven Because I think I'm a pretty good person The bible says there is none righteous No not one There is none good You'd even go so far As to say, now we may look at one another and think that's a good person. I like them, but our version of goodness is not the same as God's version of goodness. That's why, that's why the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. But when we come to Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, and we trust that he took our place, he took our judgment for our sin. That it is his goodness that pays for our salvation and not our own. We completely forsake any idea that what we do is going to get us to heaven. It's not baptism. It's not confirmation. It's not, well, I was born into a Catholic family. Or I was born into a Baptist family. Or I was born into a Christian family. Or I was born into a Hindu family. I was born into a good family. Some people even go so far as to list their ethnicity. Ethnicity. Well, I'm this. And so because I'm this, I'm that religion. And because I'm that religion, I'm automatically going to heaven, which is what Nicodemus tried to have the conversation with Jesus about in John chapter three. He thought he was going to heaven because he was a Jew and he was a Pharisee. He had worked very hard at his religion, but something was missing. And that's why he came to Jesus at night. And Jesus told him, you must be born Again, you must be born again. You must be born into God's family spiritually. And that is done by faith. We must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. At that moment, when we place all of our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment, we are spiritually a new creature in Christ. We're now born into the family of God. We're no longer blind spiritually to the things of God, but now we literally belong to Him. We're born into His family, just like this son was born into the family, and that was His father, and He lived there with the house. Do we understand? Okay. Now we can see this. This young man took everything that He'd been given, and He went out, and He just blew it. He just. Absolutely lived foolishly, not just where he wasn't keeping tabs of his spending, but he was living in a sinful, and the Bible describes it as a riotous manner. Reckless, absolutely reckless. Reckless for what kind of uh, impact it would have on his father's reputation. Reckless for what kind of, uh, where he would lead him in life. Just absolutely reckless. Reckless. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse number 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You guys kind of see the parallel here. Spiritually, we have been given freedom in Christ. We've been given salvation. Now, some people want to pick out a couple of verses out of the Bible and say, if you sin after you get saved, you actually have to get saved all over again. Well, that would require us getting born again, again. (laughs) Christ died once as it is appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. So then Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many in Hebrews chapter number nine. He died once. There's one judgment and we have one lifetime. We must accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our savior one time. But the fact of the matter is, is that we don't always live like we belong to him. Now, it could be that, as I said before, we're talking about a younger, this, this younger son who was born into this father's household and he went out and lived completely different than what his father wanted him to do. But we also know that many of us were saved, not from a young age. And so in this comparison, it kind of breaks down a little bit, but we still understand. It could be that our riotous living or bad habits or bad choices or sinful uh, choices were made before we ever came to Christ. And we begin to suffer for some of those consequences in that riotous living, so to speak. And our conscience was afflicted and we begin to feel the chains of addiction. And sin. Oftentimes, God's judgment on a sinner is actually just letting him alone with his sin and the consequences of it. Sin is corrosive and corruptive. When it gets into us and we choose that life and that lifestyle, we begin to think differently. We begin to act differently. We begin to make different choices. We did the sin over here. Notice in in, in the story of Adam and Eve. Yes, they ate the fruit and they shouldn't have, but they acted completely different towards God. It wasn't just that they ate the fruit. Sin began to corrupt and corrode every good thing in their life, even their relationship with one another. They began to fight and squabble and blame. Riotous living is not free. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, meaning I don't have to get saved again? No, you don't. But you don't want to live in sin as a Christian. Any more than this young man wanted to eventually continue to live in riotous living as a son of the father back at the house. We'll see that here in just a moment. Are we all all together? Are we good? I confuse everybody? Okay. We're trying to go through this slowly. Make sure that we don't get confused. Now, what happens when he lives with riotous living? By the way, if there's some kind of mechanism, some kind of thought you have in your your mind when you're tempted with sin, listen. If something inside of you says, it doesn't matter anyway, just do it. That thought is not from God. That is a temptation from Satan, the enemy of your soul. Do not ever think that sin doesn't matter. It always matters. How can you say that? Because sin, our sin, put Christ on the cross. And so it always matters. Notice it says in verse 14, Luke 15, verse 14, and when he had spent all, when he had spent all, what happened? There arose a mighty famine in that land. Uh, in, in, In the Bible, something always happens in a famine. I wonder if there's someone in sitting in here today. There's a famine. Dry. There's something inside that's missing. It's not like it used to be. That's what sin does to us. There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want, began to be in need. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, pigs, Okay, in many cultures in this world, pork, pigs, it's bad, 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 bad. And for him, this, in a religious sense, this is quite possibly the worst, most humiliating job a Jewish boy could have ever done to feed pigs. But that's all he could do. You see what sin did to his life? Did it make it better? No, it dropped him down. Listen, when he ran out of money, the whole economy changed. And this is the only job he could get. Verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Not something you find on most menus. Would you like a nice little uh, corn husk salad? It's organic it's freshly dried what does that do to you is there any nutritional content in husks from corn I don't know pigs eat they don't care what they eat by the way the people of this world though I'm trying not to compare them to pigs the people of this world meaning unbelievers they don't really care nor do they completely understand what they're really eating spiritually they just get into it and here he is he's just he's eating Husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Helpless, hopeless, empty, hungry, completely broke, no money at all. Hey, buddy, where'd all that inheritance go? Before we continue, can we see the gigantic contrast that Jesus is giving us here in the story? How many months before or years before was this young man sitting with his father at the father's table that had plenty? He never thought about being hungry in his father's house. He never thought about feeding pigs in his father's house. He never thought about having to endure the humiliation of working this kind of job when he was at his father's house. He never thought about money when he's at his father's house. Never thought about any of this stuff. And guys, let me just say this. Sometimes Christians live a life. Look at me. Sometimes Christians live a life that is so far away from what God intends for us to live. We hear about Christ dying for our sins and we hear about the freedom that's in Christ And we hear about liberty and we sing victory in Jesus and we don't have any victory. And we hear about the living water, but the inside of us feels empty. And we hear about Jesus being the bread of life. And yet somehow inside we feel like we're empty and we go back to that time that we had trusted Christ as our savior. And we think, did I get saved or did I not? And there's a still small voice inside that says yes. And you go back over the verses or maybe you speak to the pastor or someone else and you say, yes, I know I'm a Christian. Yes, I know I'm saved. Well, then why is there such a huge difference between what the songs say and what scripture said and what Jesus said that being a Christian should be like and the way I actually live? Why does it feel like there's so many Christians that are living spiritually in the pig pen? Where's, where's the dissonance? Where is, where is, what is it true or is it not true? People fall out of church and fall out of faith. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. It means they, they can't connect the dots between what they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis versus the promises of God's Word. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Man, it sounds so exciting. Victory. We just had a series, eight weeks. Victory over temptation. Boy, we love that word. Liberty, victory, freedom. Woohoo! But how did it go last week? <sighs> Barely here, maybe. Or maybe it's something that happened a couple of weeks ago. Or maybe it's something that we don't even quite can quite put our finger on. Then we see what happens. In verse number 17. By the way, let let me just say this before I continue. The Bible says, and no man gave unto him. It is not cruel If someone gets out of church and chooses to live a sinful lifestyle, to lovingly and prayerfully let them go. Why? Because that's the best chance they have of coming to themselves. If I'm always there supplying the money and supplying the comfort and supplying everything as if they're in the Father's house, but they're not really in the Father's house, how will they ever truly come to themselves? The father didn't send drones filled with packages of food when the son was out there living in riotous living and when his account started to get low. And when he found out his boy, was he didn't know. He left the the home. And unfortunately, there's some people that are truly believers and they choose to live a sinful and worldly and selfish lifestyle. Doesn't necessarily mean they've never been saved. It means that if they really are, a son or a daughter of God, they will eventually hit a famine. That is biblical Hebrews chapter number 12. You cannot live like you are someone who has never been born again and get away with it. It's impossible. Either we are one of his sheep or we are not one of his sheep. And if we are one of his sheep, He will always go into the mountain and look for that which has gone astray. Amen. Amen. But is it worth it to experiment? Or I'm not going to lose my salvation anyway. Maybe I'll give it a try. I mean, I've got these new friends at work. They seem like they're having nothing bad ever happens to them. Are they one of his sheep? Are they one of his sheep? Look what happened. No man came into him. Alone, lonely, broke, hungry. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, this is the the verse that we'll see in just a moment in Romans chapter number 6 with the reckoning. And then the yielding the reckoning is accounting. The reckoning is looking at myself and saying, who's am I really? Because when it says he came to himself, then, then, then he began to begin to think about where he came from. Whose family did he belong to? Notice what it says. When he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair and i perish with hunger see the difference see the difference this kid's living for himself living recklessly but he belongs to the father and he knows that even those who are in the father's house who may not even be a son or a daughter they have enough verse 18 i will arise and go to my father and will say unto him look look how he rehearses his speech isn't that funny we do that don't we we rehearse our speech father i have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired servants and he arose and came to his father but when he was yet a great way off oh my goodness what a father what a father What a father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, look, he didn't even get all of his speech out. Did he even finish his speech that he practiced? He didn't even even get to finish the, the speech that he practiced. He just... He just started it. You see that? He started, it, and his father. His father sees the action of him returning, and his father hears just a little bit of the speech, and his father's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, Come on, you're you're my son. Bring the robe, bring the, ro- uh, the, the the rings, bring the shoes. Kill the fatted calf. The son that I thought was dead has. Re- Do you see the resurrected life in this story? The son that I thought was dead is now alive. He thought thought that his kid was dead. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and has given us eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Living for sin is living a life of living death. And living for Christ is living the resurrected life. You see that? There it is right there, the resurrected life. Now, keeping this in mind, go back to Romans chapter number six. We've got about 10 minutes left. Louis, we, we can do it. Can we do it? We can do it. No, don't get lost in the verbiage. Okay? We're going to read a couple of scriptures. we already read them. But we're going to read a couple in, in verse 7 and on down. Okay? We're going we're, we're to see where Jesus died on the cross. Right? And then he rose again from the dead. But then we're going to see that he gives us this new life because he rose from the dead he gives us this power to live a life that is different from the one the old life but we have to do something we have two responsibilities jesus had the responsibility of dying on the cross and rising from the dead did he do that yes okay we trusted christ as our savior So now we have a responsibility. He did his responsibility. Now we have a responsibility and uses two words here, reckon and yield. Now we're gonna read the verses and then we're gonna kind of tie it up to the prodigal son and realize that when the prodigal son came to himself, he did these two things. He reckoned and then he yielded. And that's how he came to live in the father's house under plenty once again, was reckoning and yielding. If you have an addiction, this is the passage you need to know. If you have a problem in, your, in, in the way that you think about, I'm not good enough, I'll always be a failure. I can never grow. I'll always be like this. I'll always be like that. My, God doesn't answer my prayers. I'm not one of his special kids. Uh, there's so many thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm this. God doesn't really love me. He loves other people. I can't get victory over alcohol, over pornography, over immorality, over uh, some kind of drug addiction. This is what you need. There is absolutely a resurrected life that Jesus intends for you to live. Absolutely. And he did his part. But we've got to understand that it doesn't mean that once you got saved, it's all magically going to go away. We have to reckon and yield just like the prodigal son. Okay? Alright. Romans 6, verse 7. Now he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, meaning if somebody's dead, they don't have to worry about being tempted by sin anymore. Right? Okay, that's that's easy. We we understand that. Okay. Now, bump up into verse number three. The reckoning the yield is a little bit lower. We're going to get into those verses in just a moment. Okay, that starts in verse number 11. But in order to get the full picture, we're going to see that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, our old man, our natural man, with all of the sinful uh, habits, with all of the sinful... uh, So vulnerable to the influence, so vulnerable to the addiction, so vulnerable to the lies of Satan. That old person of uh, our old spiritual nature was crucified with Christ on the cross. And that means if Jesus died on the cross, our old person, the riotous living guy, he died on the cross with Jesus too. Okay, guys, this is... Without this spiritual truth Christianity never really makes sense And you will get frustrated And you will quit And you will, listen There is nothing more depressing Than learning to live in the far country When you have wasted your substance With riotous living And nobody has given to you And spiritually you are empty Why the Christians? Why are Christians out there Investigating Buddhism? There's no resurrection in Buddhism. Why are Christians out there investigating into Hindu mindfulness? There's no resurrection in that. Oh, pastor, I can't believe you're talking about other religions. That's not a very nice thing to do. You know what's not a nice thing to do is to tell people there's no hope for you. You just have to learn to psych yourself out while you live in the far country. That's what's not nice. For people to propagate lies... And try to let people know. Oh no, you can, you can live a peaceful life and pretend like you're sitting on a cloud and 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 feel your fingers and and. <sighs> not peaceful, not really, because I still have an addiction. Look, the only happiness some people know is the rush of endorphins when they get done with their workout routine. That's why they fall in love with yoga. I know what I'm talking about. I lived in Nepal. You see it all the time. People, they're looking for something. What are they really looking for? They're looking for the resurrected life that only comes through Jesus Christ. And if we have him, then this is what he's given to us as a gift. But we have to reckon, we have to realize that our old, the old part of us that thinks, I can't do that. Maybe, listen, it, it It could not be, maybe for you, it may not necessarily be an addiction or something like that. It may just be a step of your Christian growth and it keeps on coming to your heart. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And there's a part of you that says, I can't do that. That's not really, hey, that's not really who I am. Exactly, that's who he is. And he's given you a resurrected life to live. So notice it says in verse number three, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Now listen, every time the Bible says baptized doesn't mean water baptism. The word means immersed. So we're immersed in Jesus Christ, meaning when Jesus died on the cross, because he was Adam or the second Adam uh, as a human being, our old nature was crucified with him. The riotous man was crucified with him. He was our substitute. He took all that on him on the cross. And so when we say he died for our sin, it means that he, he crucified our old nature as well. Verse four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is the resurrection. He's given us the power to walk this new life that only he can grant us. Why? Because spiritually and theologically, our old man was crucified with him. The part of you that, 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 that feels like you're helpless to addiction, the part of you that feels like you're helpless to whatever uh, suggestions that come into your mind and so on and so forth, we're helpless. Well, all that helplessness was crucified with him. And he's given us this new life to live just like he has risen from the dead. And he's given us this this newness of life as it says in verse number four. Verse number five, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse six, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve Sin. Serve self. Serve the addiction. Serve the suggestion. Right? That's what it's saying. Hey, I don't have to learn to live comfortable as possible in the far country. I don't have to live like that. I can live victorious. I can live with purpose. I can live victorious in Jesus Christ. How we have to realize that our old man has been crucified with him? Say, well, that's a a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't get that. We have to believe that. We have to believe that. It says, verse number eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more death hath no more dominion over him talking about the finished work of Christ verse 10 for in that he died he died into sin once but in that he liveth he liveth unto God he died into sin once he died the death one time for all of our sin that's what it's saying but he lives unto God forever right for for the 40 days and then he ascended into heaven and now he's alive he's saying that's that's what I want you to realize that he's been given that he's given to us He's given us the freedom to live unto God, not to live the life we want to live. He's given us the power and the victory to live the life he wants us to live. And again, this is where a lot of Christians, they want power over the addiction, but they still want to live their life that they want to live. And Christianity just does not work that way. Well, help me understand that. Okay, so the young man comes to himself, returns to the father, and still says, hey, dad, thanks for the hug and for all the new clothes, but I still kind of want to live some of the way that I used to live back in the far country. Would that be respectful? What would that not be? Where's my grammar? That would not be yielding. So the reckoning is the accounting and saying, hey, I'm accounting to me that I, my old me, the old Corey. Not the Pastor Corey, which is not, that's just a position. That's not me, right? The old me, the sin nature me was crucified with Christ. That's reckoning. That's saying, looking at Christ and saying, the part of me that's struggling with sin was crucified with Christ. That's coming to myself, right? And realizing this is who I am, and then realizing, okay god christ has given me this new life to live that's the reckoning part it's kind of like looking at all the accounts looking at yourself looking at your failings looking at what you want looking at what you don't want looking at what you're struggling with looking at what god has promised us this new life in christ looking at christ on the cross the old nature looking at all of these things and saying okay my old nature was put there Jesus gave me this new life. He rose from the dead that gives him the power to give me this new spiritual life. No one else can do that. Right? Yes, amen. So that's the reckoning part. Have you reckoned or accounted to yourself that you for salvation we get that. We know that we're saved. But the old part of you that struggles so hard with Christianity and doing the right thing, the old man, the old, insert your name, the old Corey, the old Braden, and so on and so forth. The old part of you, the part of you that likes the sin, but also the part of you that can't stop doing whatever it is. The part of you that desperately wants to live your own life, but realizing that God has saved you from that. That's crucified dead and now you're alive unto god and we get that that spiritual truth we have to believe that and then the second point is this reckon and yield we have to yield where do we see the yield the reckoning is saying like the young man came to himself look at all this look at my father's house i will arise and i will go back I will arise and I will go back and serve. I will go back and I will identify as. This world is obsessed with identification. Is that true? What do you identify as? A Christian. What do you primarily identify as? Well, I'm from this country. Wrong answer. Well, this one particular flag, wrong answer. Well, I'm of this particular skin tone, wrong answer. Hey, that may be how other people see you. They may ask you about your accent and say, oh, you're from where, where are you from? And they may try to guess. And that might be in this world, that might be your identity. For some, it'd be like, oh, you're from there. I love your food. (laughs) Praise God for good food. We always walk around telling ourselves we are something. We tell ourselves our identity. What's the identity that you tell yourself? That's the reckoning. I am not this who happens to be a Christian. I am primarily, fundamentally a Christian. Amen. Nations rise and fall. Ethnicities over thousands of years. Cha- you can't tell me that many thousands of years ago, all the ethnicities back then were exactly as they were, are right now. Most of them were not. They were slightly different. But one thing will never change, my friends. Our identity in Jesus Christ. You will carry that into your grave and into heaven. We've got to learn to identify ourselves that way. And this young man, this young man did not go back to the father until he first fundamentally changed his identity to say, I will arise and go back home because that's who I really am. Why do we struggle with addiction? Because we think that's who we really are. I really am someone who struggles with whatever your addiction may be. That's who I am. That's a lie from hell, my friend. That, that person that you're identifying as, that guy's dead. That girl is dead. Well, I'm just a loser. Losers were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Jesus wasn't a loser, was he? That's not what he's given us and we could go on and we could go through every single thing. We've got to reckon and the last thing is yield. Yield means cooperate. Why can't I get victory over this? Have you gotten to the place yet where you're humble enough to just cooperate with God? Why would I cooperate? Because that's who I am. That's my true identity. And that's how you find victory in Christ. And that's how you find the new life. Man, this stuff is so good. What a meal. What a meal. What, what are we struggling with? What are we struggling with today? Doubt? Fear? Everybody bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.